Thanks so much for tuning in. It's Montel here, and you're listening to another edition of Let's Be Blunt with Montel, where we talk about everything and anything cannabis. And also, throughout this next year, while we're waiting for the election, I'm going to be bringing you a lot of other issues that I think are very near and dear to your heart and things that you should at least get a little education about. But we focus on cannabis, and why? Because the space has become extremely daunting out there for us to navigate unless you get the right amount of information. I want to make sure I can bring you some fact against fiction. I can educate you a little bit to help you navigate your journey with cannabis the right way. Today, I'm really, really, really excited to have a guest on who literally is the founder of an organization called Exalt Med in South Florida. He's a board-certified pediatrician, sorry, pediatric extensive care physician who specializes in complex medical cases in which patients don't respond to traditional treatments. He's registered in the Medical Marijuana Use Registry and is authorized to use medical cannabis in his practice. I am honored to have here with me today, Dr. Eric Exelberg. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Let's talk a little bit about your background first off and, and what made you decide to enter such a controversial space? Sure. So uh, I function every day as a pediatric intensive care doctor. So our, our job is to take care of the sickest of the sick of children. Um, uh, I also trained in internal medicine. So I do have some adult background training as well. Uh, I've always been interested in cannabis uh, in terms of its medical potential and really, we well, say so you've always been interested. In, take, take me back. How far uh, you've been in medicine now for how many years? So I finished my training in 2006. Okay. So I've been, I, I guess, as a practicing physician uh, since that time. So my 13th year, um, I've been an intensive care doctor since that time. And that's pretty much fully what I've been done. Uh, excuse me, what I've been doing. But I finished my training in Denver, Colorado. And so okay. that was a lot of the changes of what was happening in gotcha. terms of marijuana use and of course its medicinal properties and, were and being back situated. Then, you probably may not remember, but when you I guess you were having a mayoral election before uh Colorado went I my had an office in Colorado and literally did a considerable amount of lobbying in Colorado to actually help pass some of the loss that took place. So we yeah. were out there about the same time. Sure. So when John Hickenlooper mm -hmm. so that was the time uh so I basically watched as I was starting my job as a professional seeing what was happening from a medicinal side, and then, of course, as it transformed. Uh, the difficulty in what I do as I move back down here to South Florida, where I'm from, is as an intensive care doctor you know, for sick children, the last thing people are thinking about is implementing anything related to cannabis, sure. especially when it wasn't even legal. So as time was changing and as Florida was going to become one of the medical marijuana states, basically it came down to how can I provide a service how can I learn? How can I practice? Mm -hmm. But take that into where I where it's real. So basically, while continuing to be a pediatric ICU doctor at a children's hospital in South Florida, where I still am full time, sure I began on my days off, opening myself up to seeing mostly complex. About children. what year is this? This is the beginning of two thousand, probably seventeen, okay. as it became legal. Sure. And uh, decided to just basically put myself out there and and uh, basically put up a website rented different spaces. Uh, actually, for the first year, I was just driving around to patients' houses, mostly of whom I would know from the hospital. Mm -hmm. And uh, to make a long story short, basically led to my second job on my days off of needing a clinic. And uh, probably in South Florida, I, you know, I see the most complex kids. And of course, I see adults, but that's really how it began. And, and you know what, but now see, I guess one of the things that people are listening to tuning in right now, this is a real medical doctor, folks. <laughs> 
before you start getting stupid out there, I'm crazy out there. I'm not, I don't mean to call you stupid, but you know, a lot of people don't believe that there are doctors like yourself sure. who have done the requisite research to recognize the fact that marijuana is not just a plant. It is a medication that's been recognized as a medication in the United States for well over 46 years. Yes, you're right. A lot of people don't understand. I love that I have an opportunity to talk to somebody who, who probably understands more than anybody else out here. But, you know, you look back to the first George W. Bush program of compassionate care where he authorized the federal government folks to grow and dispense marijuana out of the University of Mississippi back then started with 20 patients. Right now it's down to, I think, only three because they're the only three that have been alive. I literally had a canister I featured on my show almost 14 years ago, a canister of marijuana cigarettes that was sent out by the University of Mississippi because the federal government understood the medical efficacy of cannabis. That man has spoken numerous times at conferences down here in Florida. And, Irv. Uh, yeah. Irv Roosevelt. I had Irv's canister on my show. <laughs> but, you know, not only did I have Irv on, but I also had a couple of doctors who actually worked at the University of Mississippi back in the early 90s. Wow. Wow. You know, we, it, it's, it, it just drives me nuts with the fact that, you know, now all of a sudden we have this thing that's considered a green rush or the gold rush that's come about in the last three years. I've been working in legislation for medical marijuana access since 2001. Yeah. I was looking for CBD back in 2002 before most people even understood that there was a chemical called a cannabinoid. Yeah, yeah. And the fact that the research has been there, is out there. The research is there that proves that we have this, and I know that you work, and we're going to talk a little bit about this, you work extensively in realigning and making sure that the endocannabinoid system is working most efficaciously, right? Sure. Yes. I mean, uh, I just left the ICU where I work today. And, and, and if I could give you five, I could give you five cases today of where the endocannabinoid system was being manipulated in different give ways. Me give me one. Well, I have a patient who suffer, who, who right now is suffering from lupus, but also has a, a syndrome called Guillain-Barre syndrome. Having mm -hmm. both of those together are extremely rare. He's in the midst of just recovering his neurologic function. And uh, there is no doubt in my mind from an anti-inflammatory standpoint that if we could give him even just one cannabinoid CBD, which would have literally no downside, uh, I think we could have helped him. In addition to that, he developed seizures just a week ago. And we gave him, and I, look, look, Montel, I'm a, I'm a ICU doctor. We rely on modern medicine. So I'm not going to say that I don't believe in that or rely on that. You know, people wouldn't survive. But one of the beauties behind this is that there's a lot of ways to skin a cat. And I would have loved the opportunity to be able to give him that, uh, whether it's CBD alone or any of the other cannabinoids. Sure. And that might have prevented things from, uh, from getting worse. So, you know, there's, there's not a day that goes by in what I do, which is why I decided to have my clinic where the endocannabinoid is not being manipulated. And you know, let's, let's do something because it gives me an opportunity to do something I've wanted to do for a long time. Why don't you slow it down and explain to my listeners what this thing is called an endocannabinoid system. I like to say it's a secondary nervous system, but the truth of the matter is it is part of our nervous system found in all mammals, correct? Sure. So th the way I explain it to patients is, or families is we all have different organ systems in our body. And we use terms like the circulatory system, the nervous system, the respiratory system. 
the endocannabinoid system, as you mentioned, is really the job of the, or the, it's a dynamic interface of all of these systems working together to keep us balanced. And balance doesn't mean keeping us up on our feet. It literally means keeping us as functioning mammalian beings. And if you want to look it up and make sure you, do, you Google, you know, the endocannabinoid system, it's going to talk about something called cellular homeostasis. And that's exactly what the doctor is talking about. Exactly. So if you're on a seesaw, you know, the seesaw's job is to, is to, to not, to someone not fall off. Right. And, and uh, so basically what we found learning through marijuana, um, you know, in the seventies is basically that there are, that our body makes chemicals that are the same chemicals that exist in the marijuana plant. Anandamide and something called AG2. Or 2AG. 2AG, sorry. And there's a long name for that, but 2AG is great. It's easier to say. It's easier to say. And when they learned about these chemicals, they then found that uh, they're the same or they mimic basically chemically uh, these these uh, cannabinoids, as we call them, that are in the marijuana plant. And let's make sure we understand that the, the, what we're, the discussion that we're having is a discussion that's based on research that was funded by the United States government in places like the University of Mississippi and also in Israel. The doctor who actually did the discovery, Dr. Raphael Meshulam in Israel, I had an opportunity to interview him face-to-face in his laboratory back 12 years ago. Right. I mean, this, um, this, this information has been around for a long time and, and there's a, a massive naivete and, um, and just a, uh, an unwillingness, in my opinion, for people to want to realize that it's real. And all you got to do is look up the government's own patent on CBD, which is patent number 6630507. That patent will, in its abstract, which is the, the paragraph that describes why they believe that they could ask for a valid patent to control a substance, they state unequivocally that cannabis is an neuroprotectant and a anti-inflammatory, works for several different diseases from ischemic stroke to other neurological disorders. That's part of the reason why I even got involved in cannabis. And again, people don't understand this. I've been doing this now for close to 20 years. Amazing. Long before everybody wanted, I was literally the person who stuck myself out there to try to go out back. I've been involved in 13 of the states that have passed legislation for medical marijuana since I've gotten involved. And I did so because I, I, I felt extremely strong about the fact way before we even talked about opioid addiction. When I first got diagnosed with MS, I had doctors who would literally write me opioid prescriptions like I could go and get candy. And there was a point, I didn't realize this until after having been really now looking back at it, I was probably addicted to opioids, but not for the same reason that other people are. I couldn't get them to work. <laughs> My body has an aversion to opioids. Uh, you know, like uh, you, know, you would write a prescription for one patient for probably, you know, 100 milligrams Vicodin and tell them, you know, break it in half, take one every two hours. I was taking six and seven of those and getting no reaction other than urinating on myself. <laughs> sure. And then I shifted over from that to there was a period of time when a doctor had the audacity to write me a prescription for Talwin. Wow. And you remember Talwin, sure, right? Sure. It's still available now. And this is probably one of the most powerful opioids that was available to mankind. I was taking three and four of those, right? And still having a lucid conversation, right? We live in, we, we, you know, we live in an environment that you've been part of in medicine, where you know we like to treat the symptoms, and there's Correct. a medication for everything, and there, there's 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 upsides and there's downsides. The the 
unbelievable thing about what's happened with cannabis for people who really truly want to learn about it is that we actually are have the ability to do real medicine. Um, the, and do you know, real research now. Do real research, hopefully, and continue. And, and what's fascinating is that we haven't even touched the surface of what there is out there. Right. And um, I mean, you know, it's very, very interesting that you say that because I, I've literally been been screaming this at the top of my lungs. You know, I, I had a long conversation with Dr. Sanjay Gupta, and Sanjay, I don't know if you, you know, he's probably, whether he likes it or not, should take responsibility for the explosion around CBD. Yeah, now, it was should. being used anyway, but, and I, again, I was looking for it back in 2002. Sure. Finding strains up in Northern California that were more laden with CBD. And a lot of people don't understand that the reason why it's such a hard search to find CBD is that the United States of America and our growers of marijuana during the 60s and the early 70s did as much as they could do to try to breed the CBD out of the plant. Sure. What Sanjay Gupta did, not only did he bring an awareness, but mm -hmm. for me personally, he opened the door for pediatrics. That's and, great. and, and, uh, you know, we all know if you, unless you've lived under a rock who Charlotte, you know, Charlotte is and Charlotte's web. Um, but the truth of the matter is, is that for me, what's been amazing on the parent side or on the mm -hmm. personal side is that cannabis has given power back to a lot of families. Absolutely. And a lot of people don't understand that. Again, I brought up Sanjay, I'm going to finish this thought is that though he made us aware of CBD, I think he, in some ways, and I told him about this before his last special came out, and he even talked about it on this podcast. He hurt the marijuana industry in a way because he gave people the impression that CBD, CBD, CBD. Sure. But we don't know that for a fact. And we know for a fact that, that in Canada, they have identified somewhere near 160 cannabinoids. And even Raphael Mashulam, when he first addressed the fact that marijuana could work, he talked about it in an entourage effect. Exactly. The fact that you need to have the presence of all of those cannabinoids. THCA, THC, some cases for people who have seizures like with me with my MS, when I first started trying my best to find CBD, 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 in 2006 and seven, I was finding just solid CBD and trying to get rid of all the THC. Right. Didn't recognize for a year, yeah, I got some relief. But my main relief came back when I started using THC again, because those cannabinoids all work together. And, you know, one of them may be working as the taxicab or the accelerant to actually get it through the mitochondria. Exactly. And if you take that out and extract that out, you're not really getting the full value of the CBD. Exactly. And it's amazing you say that because, you know, the what's happening, if you think about oncology or just what's happening yes. in a lot of these autoimmune diseases, we're taking an isolated chemical, meaning like in what's called interleukins mm -hmm. or, or other sorts of chemical cytokines that are being manipulated. Yes. And what's amazing is, is that cannabis and all those phytocannabinoids, phyto meaning in the plant, we're going to learn that all those are going to be doing very similar safe things Absolutely. without a problem. And so what, 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 what Sanjay did is not only make, bring an awareness, not only be an advocate, but it got the ball rolling so that people can realize that this is, you know, this is not just a plant. And what it also did is remind people that there are a lot of amazing medications. Digoxin is one of them, which is that's a cardiac a medication. That's a plant-based medicine. Yes. Um, and if you're following anything that's going on with psychedelics and psilocybin and everything yes. else that's going, you know, there is a buzz around the fact that we have a global amount of botany that is out there. And so, uh, I mean, I commend him for what he did. And, and it, the, the sky's the limit. Absolutely. Basic science for every reaction, there's an equal and opposite reaction. Nature put in our, you know, green forest, our forest. Yeah. They put plants, nature put it there. 
But I believe, I strongly do believe that for every disease that exists on this planet, there is a cure to be found in a rainforest. I, I believe this since I was a child. And I, I think that as we look deeper into this plan, that's part of the, you know, what I've been doing myself personally um, has been been doing a lot of research on the terpenes and on, mm-hmm. you know, all the other components that are as, as important to bioavailability, to, I think, you know, actual permeation of the mitochondria. We need to look at all of these cannabinoids together and maybe the day will come when we will separate it out to each one individually and then go back and tweak it by putting them in at different levels to elicit the response we want. Sure. I mean, you bring up an, a fascinating point. I mean, my my goal, and you'll be interviewing someone tomorrow, but we've spoken uh, about exactly doing that type of medicine. Just like you said morphine or narcotics, let's just call it mm-hmm. narcotics, didn't work for you. I mean, we ha- all have the ability to welcome, if you want to call it, different types of chemicals that help make us work. Yes. Um, what would be fascinating, is, and 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 it's almost like when you make your protein shake or whatever mm-hmm. it is in the morning, you're putting different things in there for different reasons. There is no doubt in my mind that over the next several years, we'll be able to do that with the cannabinoids. I know I do it myself, mm-hmm. and I've been able to tinker figuring out you know, in California, we're able to isolate, they have great isolated cannabinoids. Yes. And so CBG, CBN, you know, we're able to get those, those, and, and, uh, and we will, be, between the smart scientists that exist and DNA and genetics, and then of course, as smarter people with phytocannabinoids and, and the c- cannabis, there will be designer medicine Absolutely. for cannabis. There will be, a, but that's where, you know, we, we, we've gotten all hung up on, you know, the strange meaning selling individual flowers of different strains where you can go into some of these dispensaries in California and you'll see, you know, a hundred different strains and people will walk up and try to figure out which one that they gravitate to basically mostly through smell, but not understanding that the cannabinoid profile of what you smell may not be the most efficacious one that you need to be putting in your body. And then what we may end up finding out is that, Hmm. You know, this is, it's interesting that you said it, and I'm, I'm so glad that you brought it up, doctor, is that, you know, I've been, and I've been, even my staff will tell you, I've been talking about this for the last three years. I have a brand of cannabis out right now that I have literally been formulating. I'm the formulator for, but three years ago, I was saying we need to find more CBG. CBG now is being called the God cannabinoid, but it should be called the stem cell cannabinoid because we know that CBG is what turns into THC and CBD. As the plant ages, you can only get CBG at high quantities if you actually harvest early. Correct. So, you know, if you can get it before it flowers first six weeks, you've got more CBG than you have any other component of all. There's a lot of CBN and there's some as THCA. Sure. But, you know, that CBG now, you know, CBG in the adult plant is 0.004%. I, maybe you might find a strain that might have 0.01%, right. but it's way more normally lower than 0.1. I literally played with taking some CBG and raising that number up to 1.2%, along with adding in 1.2% of CBN, about 5% CBD, and then a lower percentage of THC, but at the 90% in the entire volume, but the THC I was using was maybe a 13% THC. I'm going to tell you, that was probably the best sleeping pill, <laughs> sleep that I ever had in life. 
for one full cart right. that I was able to put together. But that's the kind of design that we should be doing. Yeah, I, I mean, we, you know, I think you, you, you probably realize this more than anyone else. We've gone about this a little, you know, backwards. Right. You know, I mean, right. we, 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 you know, the FDA, you know, is not in charge of this. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's not governing the NIH and it's not governing these. So, you know. We, and I'm not sure the FDA needs to be in charge right now because unfortunately I'm not, I'm not being a jerk. But, you know, a lot of these are old school doctors who I don't care whether they jump on the bandwagon today. They really don't believe it. You're exactly right. And what I, what I was uh, meaning to say more is that because of the way it's come about and because of it's been isolated by state and because it's been isolated by business right now, uh, we've, we, we, we have to sort of now take a step back and find the pioneers that, that, are, that are doing the basic science and how do we bring this all together. Because it's not just about recreational marijuana. Right. Recreational marijuana is a whole nother fight. And I don't believe that, you know, I'll make a statement here which is going to sound crazy, but I don't believe there's ever any recreational marijuana. I believe that almost every single person that gravitates to marijuana over alcohol is gravitating because they have some underlying medical issue, even if they don't accept it themselves. It might be depression. It might be anxiety. It might be one of the things that they wouldn't even recognize as a medical malady. But I think that's what gives you the choice to seek out something that's different than that alcohol thing. Well, let's go back to, the, I mean, we, we could just go back to the basics of what the endocannabinoid system and homeostasis yeah, balance is. Yeah, let's talk is. about that some more. So, no, so I mean, you've, you know, you basically said it just, just like that. I mean, the reason why we reach out to something as simple as Tylenol, Motrin, whatever it might be for whatever the ailment is, is something's not in cycle. Something's not functioning well. well. And so... Uh, if somebody's not feeling well or feeling sad and that, you know, you, everyone comes home from work, has a bad day. Why do we gravitate to having a drink? Right. Why do we gravitate to having a Xanax or why do we gravitate to, you know, whatever might be exercise? Right. You know, we're all searching for some way of keeping a balance good. and to make ourselves feel better. Yes. And so, uh, you know, we have all, or not we, but there's numerous people that have obviously reached out to cannabis. Well, why? Of course there's a euphoria associated with it, but, as we're now learning, there's a whole bag of other worms and stuff that are in there that is actually fixing the problems that we have. And I, I got to ask the question, though. Uh, if I can come home at 6.30 and pour a glass of wine, there's a euphoria. Exactly. Why are we, Why are we knocking a euphoria? Exactly. What, but, but what, is, what is the problem being on a planet that has so many issues? Right. And not causing cirrhosis. Correct. But I can't correct. <laughs> I mean, you know, you, you go back in time. Most people don't understand, you know, mankind's development. But, you know, you go back to the late 1600s. Here in the United States of America, almost no one drank water. You couldn't drink it. <laughs> water had so much bacteria and so many different different uh, uh, caustic things in it that caused everything from what? Uh, the dysentery. Dysentery yellow, and you name it. So yeah. what did they do back then? Everyone basically made some form of near beer. We brewed, made an alcoholic-based drink. Maybe it was only 2.5%, 2.7% alcohol, but that killed the bacteria. Yeah. That allowed us to drink a glass of water. Well, not only did we drink that water, but so did a one-year-old. Yeah. Not only, all you have to do, you know, if you, have, if, you want, if you watch Netflix, Amazon, and you catch up on Vikings, or you catch mm-hmm. up on what's going up, there was a lot of sitting around circling eating plants, right. eating animals. Um, you know, that they were harvesting or, mm-hmm. you know, destroying, you know, killing themselves to eat. And they were, you know, saluting around and having a drink and making their own beverages. Um, so, you know, this has been going on. I mean, we, you know, we can give a history lesson on Chinese medicine and in India, how sure. long cannabis is around curing 
anything from, you know, from a headache to, to what they thought was cancer growths, whatever it right. might be. So, uh, you know, to, when the original question you asked me that got us on this great story was why, you know, why I did what I did and selfishly, I'm, you know, I'm that science geek, you know, yeah. everybody wants to learn and, you know, it's hard to keep up with things. And so, uh, I decided that, that even though I have seen more children's lives saved, the cancer cure rate in children is 80%. Most patients that are in my intensive care unit leave oh, and are pretty great. much back to normal. Congratulations. Um, oh, no, it's fascinating. And so why not be able to be able to give more things without all the more morbidity, the side effects that are going on? Uh, and so like uh, even as simple as if I want to sedate a patient in the intensive care unit, I'm reaching for morphine. I'm reaching for benzodiazepines like Valium and Versed. There would be nothing greater for me than to be able to reach for something that, number one, I know is going to probably make them more comfortable. Yes. They're going to sleep better. They're not going to leave the ICU with delirium or on methadone and, and Valium because they were on these medications. And so, so to me, it's exciting. To me, there's going to be a lot more uh, real medicine. And, and the truth of the matter is that we're moving into this stage of, of biological agents learning about plants. We are actually to the point where we're learning how to manipulate chemicals. And what's fascinating is that in the endocannabinoid system and what's been happening and and in Israel's, you know, they're they're, they're the hallmarks of everything. Yes. They're already manipulating these systems, and it and, and it, it's in the it's in the algorithm of treating cancers, right. uh, even if it's one cannabinoid. But 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 it's real, and so to me, it's exciting. It's fascinating. It's fun, uh, and again, people are coming to see me mostly because I'm I'm a, I'm, I'm giving them a, a, a choice. I'm this is mostly a, parents who are bringing their children to see you, right? Let's talk a little bit about that. I mean, when you first started, was there immediate reception or did you have to kind of go around and, and blow a trumpet? No, I mean, so, so, so there's two answers to that. I had the luxury and, uh, of, of fairly having, I think, a very good reputation at the Children's Hospital I work at. And we're a large children's hospital. Yes, so one we, of the best in the country. And we are interacting with palliative care every day. Um, and so these are, these are patients who can't, you know, or something's going wrong or they're reaching out for other things. And, and a lot of times they're getting a lot of, of pushback. Uh, so I had the luxury of, of patients being sent to me mostly because nobody had, else had anything to offer. So those people, th th there was, there was no problems with that. A little bit more receptive. A little bit more receptive. But what's happened is, is, that, is there's a, as you probably know, just from going through, you know, your illness, there, there's a lack of trust in the medical system. Yes. And there's a lack of trust to the point where parents don't want to give their patients medicine, or excuse me, their kids, because they're scared of the side effects. Um, there's there's a lot of great things. So I think when people came to me, it was more of here's a person who is just listening. Here's a person who is giving another option, and we're working together. And you're the, you're the only doctor in Exalt, correct? Yeah, it's just me. Yeah, just you. Just me. Most of that was because of a time commitment. Sure. Um, just because of my other full-time job. But to be honest, I selfishly, I selfishly wanted to learn everyone all by myself. So every email gets sent to me. Every call gets sent to me. I answer it. I do everything. Um, and it's, and it, you know, we're all a little bit of control freaks in medicine. Sure. But, uh, but the sure. truth of the matter is, is that I was going to learn more and they were going to get more by us being one-on-one. -on -one. Sure. So the parent, the parents, uh, the parents. I feel it gives them a chance to feel part of the medical process, 
it feels makes them feel that there's other advocates for their children that are listening instead of telling them what they have to do. And the combination of that is is education. Yes. And 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 we're learning together. And that that to me is is probably one of the biggest issues with this industry right now is that you know everybody's jumped aboard the bandwagon trying to turn it into a gold rush but missing the point that the most important aspect of this is education yeah yeah i didn't take a dime the first year that i did this and because again it's not my full time job and i enjoyed driving around to see three or four patients throughout a tri county area showing up to their house it was, it was eye-opening to see how some of these people live mm -hmm. and to see how they survive, you know, working three jobs with a, a child with, you know, with, in, you know, retract, uh, I'm sorry, with just epilepsy that can't be controlled, uncontrolled right. is the word I was looking for. Uh, and, and because I, I needed them as much as they needed me. Mm -hmm. and, and, and I think the problem right now, too, is that cannabis is not cheap. Right. And, and so... And it should be. And it's not covered by insurances. Uh, and it should be. And uh, so now what I've done is now I, I, I'm on a, a staff at one of the medical schools in here, and we're going to start teaching the endocannabinoid system. It's called Florida Atlantic University. So that's going to, you know, we're going to be pioneering that here soon. So clearly, if they're going to start teaching it, then they're more receptive to making sure the information gets out of it. But in general, is the medical community following suit with you? I think they're following suit because they're being forced to. Um, now I can't speak for everybody. Um, I think that the younger generation, I mean, you know, the people who are now starting to finish training, go through school. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, it, you can't not really learn about it. Number one, we, you know, it's proven that it's a real system. So you're actually doing a disservice as a medical education system of not providing that education. Right. I think people are coming around because everyone's talking about it. Everyone's asking about it. And there is a statistically significant amount of people who are getting benefit. Uh, I mean, I had my youngest patient was three months old with a retractable epilepsy syndrome who was on four anti-epileptics, a breathing machine. That patient 10 years ago would have been dead at that age. And in one year, that patient is off four anti-epileptic medications and off the ventilator because the patient's more awake. It's not sedated all day. And even though the quality of life might not be the best for that mother and for that patient, the patient actually had a better quality of life. So you have to listen. Sure. And you, you can't, it, it's, it's like when you're a kid and your parent tries to teach you and you're like, well, I know everything. Like eventually you're going to have to listen a little bit to your parents or your teacher or professor because they, you know, they're more experienced. Mm -hmm. And so if people don't want to learn, that's fine. But, but this, this is real. It's not going to change. And, and you, know, you just gave another example, but, but give a couple more examples. And we're not saying this so that people at home who may have this issue in their family thinks that we're promoting or trying to convince you to go in and be treated this way, but let's talk a little bit about the spectrum of patients you see. Sure. So obviously in pediatrics, let's mm -hmm. stick with that. I mean, the, the most common is epilepsy. Mm -hmm. And so the two you know, most common reasons that they will come is their seizures are not being controlled on the regimen that they're on, or their seizures are relatively well controlled, but the side effects are overwhelming. Mm -hmm. So they're looking for alternative. So seizures would be one or epilepsy would be one. Probably the next most common would be getting into the oncology world. So patients who are dealing with their chemotherapy, nausea, yes. the common side effects that they're dealing with, that modern medications either not working or they're sedating. Zofran, which another name on, on, on Dancitron, 
which is, uh, you know, for anti-nausea or to, against nausea, it's sedating. Wow. So a lot of parents don't want that to be given um, or they, for whatever reason, they can't. So something as simple as CBD, you know, might help uh, and or get their appetite back. Yes. There's some THC in there. So the oncology world. Now, what's specific about the oncology world is, and this is the tricky part of what I do, is that there are some families who are completely against chemotherapy, radiation, for whatever reason, mm-hmm. and it's not my duty to judge, and looking for cannabis medicine for treatment. Gotcha. That's a little bit difficult because I, I don't think we're at a point that we can say A cures B. Correct. So um, what I try to do is to provide to them a service where we can intertwine what's going on while working with their oncologists. And, and again, it's, it's perhaps, but as you probably know, there, there are some in the lab studies where some cancers, you know, are being, um, you know, yeah, are it's being in Israel, in yeah, Israel. That's, yeah, that's, it's also different delivery system too. It's a, it, yeah. And, and, and most of those are cellular data, meaning yes. they're looking at cell lines. The other, and to me, which is the most fascinating, uh, are, are, and I put these in the same spectrum of autoimmune diseases that involve pain. So for instance, rheumatoid arthritis, yes. Uh, there's something called Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, which is, uh, you know, when you and I were growing up, we used to see people that could pull their fingers back. They were very high, flexible. Yes. Well, there's actually a syndrome where that's not normal and they can suffer from chronic pain. And then the third one that along those, it's not an autoimmune disease, a sickle cell disease. Mm-hmm. All of those at some point in time, because of their pain, get into narcotics, yes. sickle cell being the worst. So um, just like in the adult world where patients have been getting off narcotics or methadone and moving on to cannabis, we've been able to see a similar thing in terms of just pain control, getting off of those medications. And then where I've taken it a step further is uh, patients who would see a rheumatologist, a a doctor that deals with autoimmune diseases. In pediatrics, we have things called juvenile rheumatoid arthritis. There's new names for it, but just to make it easy. Um, Or fibromyalgia, which does exist in kids. Um, MS, which there, there's now starting to uh, see. Starting kids to, we we used to call it Guillain-Barre. We used to right. call it autoimmune. You know, ADIM. There's a you know there's or ADIP. Um, but a lot of them are on what we call disease modifying agents, steroids, um, uh, biologic agents, and there's a ton of side effects that and patients are not getting better. Right. So they've come to cannabis for all the reasons we talked about: anti-inflammatory, mm-hmm. potentially sleeping better. Uh, balance, getting their balance back, and then helping to get off steroids. So I've had some patients with lupus. I've had some patients with rheumatoid arthritis, uh, something along those spectrums where we've been able to help them get either on very low amounts of of prednisone off, methotrexate, which Mm -hmm. a lot of them are on, get them off. Uh, So that's been the most rewarding. So they're not having any of the side effects of the steroid. They're sleeping better, um, and uh, and their disease is controlled. So th- those would be sort of the most common yeah, ones. Any gastrointestinal? Yeah, sorry, I forgot that. Sure. So inflammatory bowel disease is another one. There's actually good data, some of it coming out of Denver Children's Hospital, uh, where I was in training, um, where Crohn's disease. Crohn's. I mean, if you, kn- if you know about the endocannabinoid system and where those CB2 receptors are, CB cannabinoid yes. 2 receptors, a lot of them are in near the, uh, in the lymph nodes and near the intestinal tract. Um, and so based on how the endocannabinoid system works, uh, there's been a lot of improvement. So actually, one of my earliest pediatric patients was a little girl uh, who was three or four years old. And again, on steroids, on disease-modifying agents, having mm-hmm. bloody diarrhea all the time, can't gain weight. And within six months, she was off steroids. She was functional. She was back in school. She was gaining weight. And she was only on CBD and THC. Only. And eating it. 
Oh, her, her, she was thriving. Sure. Yeah. And eating, gaining weight because her disease was controlled. Um, you know, the most interesting thing to me that I've really tried to focus on in the endocannabinoid system is everybody, uh, there's a, as we get older, we all have sleep problems. We're sleeping less. Uh, we're, uh, you know, we all have more in our mind or for instance, I work a lot of nights. I work a lot of days. You get flipped and flopped and we all know that without good sleep, our balance is off. And, uh, and when I mean our balance, our, our endocannabinoid system. So even helping somebody sleep an hour better, two hours better, does wonders for their anxiety, does wonders for their healing, does wonders for their appetite. And it, it, it's a simple thing. If you can avoid Benadryl, it yes. doesn't get you any sleep. Everyone's on Ambien, right. horrific drug. People try to drink and think that's going to help them sleep. Valium, that's, calm, yeah. yeah, and you know, there's there's brilliant. Uh, there, there's a gentleman named Matthew Walker who runs a sleep lab in in Berkeley. Mm-hmm. He's proven that none of these people are getting REM sleep, and the cannabinoid system, I think, you know, is going to show. And you know, uh, with these individual cannabinoids, and as we learn, people are going to sleep better. So I've focused a lot on every patient I see to make sure that they're at least getting sleep. And you know, you're, you're here in Florida. How do we uh, uh, replicate you in every single state in this country, sir? That's well, a good question. I mean, part of what I do is, is and, and I'm not an expert. You know, I think there's, there's nobody's really an expert. We're all learning. It's a network. I mean, uh, I don't do a lot of social media, but I'm on, you know, LinkedIn. People reach out to me and I reach out to them. Um, you know, we've talked, it's really getting good studies, research, collecting data, sharing it, doing it right. But the most important thing is getting good products, because as you know, just as well as me, there's a there's a lot out there that's a lot of garbage. That, there's a lot of garbage. It's being tested. And, it's being and it's a problem. And it's garbage that's actually being processed and created in really deleterious ways. Yeah. I mean, you know, we, there are still people out here extracting cannabinoids using, um, you know, some sort of a. Uh, uh, Petroleum product, yeah. you know, to yeah. do so, which is absolutely, I, it's mind boggling. If I wouldn't walk out here and put my mouth around an exhaust pipe, why the hell would I put something in my body that literally was made from, from you know, some sort of fossil fuel? Yeah. I mean, in answer to your question, I mean, I, I've spoken and you probably know Bonnie Goldstein, who, yes. you know, who's out in California. The truth of the matter is, is, is that what we're trying to do is bring awareness just like you are is, and, and I respect the heck out of Bonnie, and I try to emulate everything she's doing, is to be able to just say that, that we are seeing real medicine, we are seeing patients get better, and nobody is dying, and nobody is stopping breathing when they're, you know, taking, you know, taking uh, cannabinoids, and patients feel better. And now you clearly are collecting your data. Yes. Yeah, so basically, I mean, the answer is yes. I mean, I haven't sat and put together every single dose of everything that people are doing. I mean, that's sort of the colloquium that we're trying to develop, uh, you know, across the nation. I mean, down here, you know, the problem is, is that is, is everybody sort of has different ideas of where to start, what to do. So in answer to what you're doing, I try to be consistent, whether it's a how many milligrams per kilogram mm-hmm. until you get to sort of an adult size so that I know that my starting point is relatively the same. And then as we get going, the disease changes. And so what I'm hoping to do with other people, but especially in pediatrics, is if we can have algorithms that are developed, that are researched, that then cross state lines so that other people are doing similar things, taking the people that have been doing it and what they're doing, that's what's going to create a sense of consistency. So when people are doing double-blinded studies and, and of, uh, eliminating bias, right now we have too much bias. Right. And the bias is mostly because we're not knowledgeable. So uh, that's what I'm trying to do, and and uh, I, you know I've recently started working with one of the cannabis com- uh, cannabis uh, cannabis companies here in Florida, 
for that reason, to be on the other side and try to deliver a different type of philosophy so that we're actually not just giving out just because people have cards, but giving it out and trying to be consistent and then working with the doctors sure. who uh, don't know what to do either. And it's yeah. not their fault. Yeah, we, just, we just have to learn. Now, I've, had a, I've, had a, I've had a product line in the marketplace now for the last four years. I'm, I'm shifting over uh, our manufacturing partner. And literally, I, I, you know, at some point in time, I'd love to work with you a little bit to, to see if we can help you figure out some of the, the formulations, if yeah. you will. Yeah, uh, that, that's, that's going to be the fun part. Yeah. I mean, literally what, 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 what would be great is if a patient comes into a clinic they are able to talk about what it is that they do. You can isolate cannabinoids in, you know, in almost like a sci-fi lab. Sure. And you can make it happen right there. You know, for you know, that patient. With, with that, yeah, for that patient, with that concoction. Mm -hmm. And then they're able to go home. And then, you, you know, you, 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 whether it's questionnaires, whether it's blood work, whatever it might be. And, and, and as long as there's consistent, good quality products, I mean, that's, that's mm -hmm. to me, the future. Absolutely. It's got to be. I think, and again, but that's going to require... You know some rules regulations yeah. that yeah. someone has to start you know putting towards us and then i don't care if it's a federal government it doesn't matter i mean we really need to start looking at this so that you know it is consistent manufacturing processes you know that we literally are taking a look and, and saying enough is enough when it comes to some of the cost of chemicals and some of the cost of ways that we are producing as well yeah 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 i think i think we're heading in the right direction but some of these big companies that exist that are sort of Buying up other companies right now, they don't they don't want you know doctors around. No, they, they, a lot of these companies are they're they're not really getting involved in this because they're looking at this from a medication stand medication standpoint. You know, we we fail to remember that this entire process of making cannabis available started as a medical right idea. Right, that's where it started at. Right, and. Now, because and I think in some ways, because we've now shifted overall, let's let's go to adult use. That's fine. I could care less if that's what you want to do. Right. But at the end of the day, I still believe that the person that's an adult user has come to the table for a reason. They're exactly. trying to get their cells back, you know, at a, at a nice, uh, you know, homostatic position. Yeah. And so, why are we not producing this at the medical level to begin with? Period. Anyway. Right. Right. And gotcha. what I and what I've tried to do in Florida is that as long as it's a medical state, we need to do this medically. Correct. And and that's that's been difficult. Um, some of it is because it, it the law has allowed a lot of people to get cards, which is okay again. But at the end of the day, this is a medical state, and you know there are thirty three medical states for a reason. Right. And uh, the states really should be working together. Absolutely. And, uh, that's, the fact that states aren't working together just drives me. Insane, it's right. bonkers. Because you know, having different regulations in different states is just ridiculously yeah. incorrect. But you know, there's a lot of smart people out there. I trust the system, and uh, I think there's there, there's some good people in different places that you know, hopefully, are going to bring people together. And yes. I mean, obviously, what you're doing is is amazing, and uh, it'll happen. It's just it, it's it'll just, take, it take time, time, but it'll happen. Yeah. Absolutely, I can't say thank you enough, doctor, for being here. If somebody wanted to reach out to you and get a contact with you, how would they do so? Yeah, I mean, probably the easiest thing to do is is, is an email. Uh, uh, it's, uh, ec, uh, I'm sorry, Dr. Eric. I have a bunch of emails, but Dr. Eric, D-R-E-R-I-C at exaltmed.com. Uh, exaltmed is E-X as an X-ray, A-L-T-M-E-D.com. Uh, that's probably just, the, I would say that that's the easiest way. And then there's a website, www.exaltmed.com. 
again, E-X-A-L-T-M-E-D.com. And it's very easy to, to get in touch with me through there. And that's at gmail.com. Yeah. What did I say? Yeah, no, no, that's the other one. You oh, yeah. Sorry. Yes. At, at gmail.com. Yeah. So there's, yeah, that's the other one. And, uh, but all of it through the website, exaltmed.com is, is, is the easiest way. But, uh, perfecto. Yeah. Thank you so much sir, for pleasure. being here. Absolutely. I'm going to have to call you and bring you back again. Yeah, thank you so Absolutely. much. All right, now. Well, thank you so much for tuning in again to another edition of Let's Be Blunt with Montel. This one coming from you, coming to you from Miami. I'm going to be traveling a little bit over the next couple of weeks, and so I'll be doing some of these from New York, and I'll be doing some more from L.A. Make sure you tune in to every one of Let's Be Blunt.